So Jesus starts right away. I hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to jump right in. Jesus starts right away in Matthew 5, 38 with a statement that is radical from the get-go. He says this, you have heard that it was said, meaning this is what the world says is true. This is what you've heard. Then he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, in other words, in God's kingdom, I'm here to tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, Jesus begins here in verse 38 by referencing an ancient but a well-known legal principle known as lex talionis. L-E-X, two words, lex, first word, L-E-X, talionis, Uh, (laughs) T-A-L-I-O-N-I-S. And it means law of retaliation. I want to make sure you know how to spell it and so that you know what it means so you can go and press your friends. It means law of retaliation, lex talionis. Now, this legal principle of eye for eye and tooth for tooth here is actually still in force today. It's an ancient principle, but it's still in force today. We know it sort of as as a way of saying the punishment fits the crime. And here's why Jesus is referencing it here in Matthew 5. You see, Jesus knows as he's coming to announce the coming of the kingdom and to say, here's what it means to be involved in this kingdom. Here are marching orders for your involvement as my followers in this kingdom. He knows that our natural tendency, our sinful nature, is to seek revenge. And eye for an eye, while it easily feels to us like legal justification for seeking out our own revenge in ways that very easily get out of control and go way beyond mere eye for eye, uh, Jesus is saying it's not just something to get even, it's something to restrain our natural tendency. This is not just something that like evens up the scores from this direction, but it keeps a lid on evil. You see, there's a lot in the scriptures about restraining evil, and Jesus applies this to us here. Think about it. We need this more than we might think we do. If someone pokes out my eye, my tendency would not only be to poke out the other person's eye, but to sue for approximately $25 billion. I think that's fair, right? I mean, who could put a price on the ability to see 3D as opposed to 2D, right? I mean, really? That's how we feel on the inside, right? We don't just stop at lex talionis. We go straight to getting way more, getting mine right here, right now, thank you very much. And, and we want more than equal justice if we're real about it. If we're, if we're honest with what we're thinking on the inside. We want revenge and then some, right? Don't believe me, it's not just me, it's you. Just think about yourself. You're driving along the highway. If someone so much as rides, rides your rear end, your tailgates you for about five seconds and then sort of impatiently starts to gun past you as if you're like some annoying slowpoke, right? Before they've even passed you on the left, you're mentally smashing your car into them like it's demolition derby, right? Right? Don't lie. A whole bunch of you on the inside are like, all right memorizing that plate right there. I'm going to call 911. We're not innocent bystanders, really, Jesus is saying. So what he's doing here, what he's doing here is he's redefining our understanding of how things work in God's kingdom, which he has come to announce here. So in verse 38, he starts right at the beginning here, He starts with the world's ideas about retaliation. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth 
for a tooth. And then he says this, verse 39. But I say to you, here's how it works in God's kingdom. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we are to capitulate and let evil triumph um, as if it could. He's actually ultimately calling us to triumph over evil with good and godly responses instead of our worldly tendency to not just get even, but to get more than even, right? Because this is how it works in the upside-down kingdom that Jesus had come to establish. So, so he's saying, let go of the demand for a personal and a private vengeance that we are deceived into thinking we can have and that we are able to meet out. He says, don't, don't resist the one who is evil. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, if somebody insults you, that was sort of held up as the, as the archetypal sort of offense and insult uh, back in the day. Makes sense, of course. If somebody slaps you, it's an insult. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Oh, I'm sorry, you missed this one too. While this sounds pretty radical, and it is, what we need to see is that Jesus is making clear that the godly response is not our tendency toward retaliation and then some. But a godly response, as Jesus models for us, we'll talk about that more throughout here, the godly response is a readiness to endure further suffering. Sign me up. Sounds great. Let me say that again because it's, it's pretty radically different than how we think, right? The godly response is not our tendency toward retaliation and then some, but it is about a readiness, a godly response is a readiness to endure further suffering. Now, this isn't here Jesus saying that we should suffer the, uh, the injustice of, of physical abuse without seeking help or, or perhaps occasionally getting out of the relationship if it warrants it. This isn't about that. This is about personal insults like in that cultural context, the extreme of being slapped in the face. And Jesus' focus here is about how to interact, how to interact with the world around us that doesn't act according to the principles of the kingdom of God. We know this because he starts out in a number of places throughout, but he starts out by saying, you've heard it said, meaning in the world, you've heard this, but I tell you that in God's kingdom, here, this is how it works. And he's setting up these principles within the context of how we are called to interact with the world so that we could, like Jesus, embody the grace and mercy that mark kingdom of God people that we could embody, like Jesus, the grace and mercy that, that embody the kingdom of God that he has come to establish. So Jesus says here that the readiness to endure further suffering is not an opportunity to get even, but we should approach it as an opportunity to embody and communicate the heart of God that is so good that he undoes evil through his own suffering. This is what Jesus is calling his followers to, really. A readiness to endure suffering means that when things come at us, 
And we know we deserve or we should get reparations or retaliation and then some and, and meet out our own vengeance. That we should approach those as an opportunity not to get even, but as opportunities to embody the heart of God that is so good that he undoes evil through his own suffering. Keep reading. Look at verse 40. He gives more examples. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, meaning if somebody takes your t-shirt, like even if by legal means, throw in the more expensive jacket too. Let him have your cloak as well. He's saying this is what it looks like to give up one's rights to get even and to undo evil through suffering. He says it like this, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, meaning if anyone forces you to carry their pack one mile, which Roman soldiers in that day were allowed to do by law, they could just come by anybody and say, hey you, hey you, carry my pack one mile, go. Right then, by law, they had to carry the pack one mile. So he says, using that as an example, if anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with him two miles. Go the extra mile. And then he says this, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Which is to say that irrational generosity should be what the world sees from us. Right? Look, if we have eternity with heaven, if we have the riches of Jesus, if we have his righteousness and we're clothed in him and we're going to be with him forever, then what are you holding on to now that matters that much? Really, think about it. In eternity. Irrational generosity should be what marks people who follow Jesus. Now, what Jesus was saying here, just to sort of summarize how far we've come so far, what Jesus was saying here, as you can imagine, would have come as a pretty major shock uh, to his listeners. They were, they were expecting something way different than this suffering Jesus. <laughs> they were expecting a, a military messiah right, who would even up the score and then some, right, who would retaliate on their behalf against the political oppression that they were experiencing. But Jesus says, I've come to establish a different kind of kingdom that is not as you think, not as you expect, works differently than the world tells you. You've heard this, but I tell you. I've come to establish a different kind of kingdom where my followers, he said, are so solid on whose they are and where they're going, that they can let go, let go of the demand to seek personal vengeance. We tracking? So the question is, are you, are you so solid on whose you are and where you're going that, 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 you, can, that you can freely let go of what Jesus even says are, are, are worldly legal rights to seek damages or retaliation? Is your intimacy with Christ like that? So that you feel a freedom to just to just give like God. <laughs> That's at the heart of what he's saying here. Keep reading. Verse 43, he says, you have heard You've heard that it was said, and this is from the, uh, the interpretation of the Old Testament law. This is from the Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament law. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
That was actually a misinterpretation. The Old Testament never said to hate your enemy. Actually, there's a lot that talked about loving one's enemies and welcoming foreigners and strangers. Um, This kind of idea of hating the enemy was added on by man-made tradition later by the Pharisees here. So he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, this is what the law intended all along. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. (laughs) Meaning, not that loving your enemies is how you become a child of God, but that loving your enemies is proof that you are a child of God. Loving one's enemies, praying for those who persecute you, That is what God's children do to all people, regardless of their standing with God. Which is exactly what what Jesus did, right? Paul tells us in Romans, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he sought us out. I mean, if anybody should understand what it's like to love unconditionally, or to be loved unconditionally, it's God's people, right? It's God's children who have been saved by his grace and mercy that we can't earn, that we never deserved. So we should, in in how we interact with the world and others around us, we should love all people regardless of their standing with God, which is why he says pretty much everything from the second half of verse 45 on. He says, for he makes the sun rise in the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust, meaning all people experience God's indiscriminate love and his common grace regardless of their standing before him eternally. And then Jesus continues this challenge, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, if you naturally love those who love you, big deal. What reward do you have for that? That's just normal human-centered love without godly mercy. Big deal. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... If you receive warmly those who you trust and you know well, again, big deal. What more are you doing than the Gentiles? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? That's just normal, human-centered love without godly grace and mercy that you've experienced from me. So you do that with others? Big deal. Love like I loved you, he says. The standards for those who follow Jesus are far higher than the standards we've learned from the world, which is a conditional love that still condemns, that no one can live up to. But you, you, you know grace. So you must reflect that unconditional grace and mercy and love that I've given you, he says. You, therefore, verse 48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which sounds impossible, and it is. But Jesus is saying this to wrap up in verse 48. He's saying the standard, the standard for Christ's followers is the extra mile that comes from God's heart to give without condition. The standard for Christ's followers is the extra mile that comes from having experienced God's heart to give without condition. That's the kind of love that people, when they receive it, 
they go, that is not normal, is it? <laughs> you know when you've experienced real grace and mercy, unconditional love. You know that. When people experience that, especially the world outside, then they go, there's something crazy going on there because that is not normal love. That's love that is the other cheek, the more expensive outer coat, the extra mile, the irrational generosity to give. Friends, we're called to love the world from the unconditional grace and mercy that comes from the heart of God alone. We're called to love the world from the unconditional grace and mercy that comes from the heart of God alone and that is proved by our readiness to suffer loss and to endure evil. Now the question remains for us today. Why was Jesus uh, demanding such radical readiness to suffer loss and to endure evil? I mean, we, we hear Jesus teaching here in, in Matthew 5, um, and actually throughout a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and he lives it out. We hear Jesus teaching and we wonder, so does Jesus want me to become a doormat for others to walk on so that I end up in the hospital or on the street naked and penniless? Um, if that is what I signed up for in following Jesus, no thank you. Now on the one hand, no, of course he doesn't want us to be without what we need to survive. And by the way, he later reassures us soon after this by saying, relax, if your heavenly father takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. But on the other hand, <laughs> for we earth-bound security spazzes who define our, our life's health and success in worldly terms, Jesus does indeed want us to be ready. Listen, for a life of defeating evil through enduring suffering. If you're resurrected from the dead and you know victory over sin and death, Jesus is going to say here, <laughs> live like it. He's calling us to be ready for a life of defeating evil through enduring suffering and pain. By the way, tangentially, real quick here, parenthetically, what was your plan to entirely avoid pain? How's that working? How's that plan working? Successful? Conflict avoidance? Are you amazing at that? Is that does that work well? Why does he want this? Because... <laughs> He knows we will face a life of pain and suffering. And in the face of that, our tendency is to hunker down for self and to disengage because now we're going to preach, folks. And when we do that, when we disengage, we have taken ourselves out of what he's created and called us to do, which is to be missionaries who go to our community with the good news of new life in Jesus. What, what Jesus is calling us to in Matthew 5, is he is he's calling us, he's trying to prepare us to be people who go despite the persecution or pain or frustration or suffering that we are going to experience in this broken, messed up, sinful world. Which is to say, if we don't learn to go despite opposition and frustration, 
We won't go at all. A whole bunch of Christians are waiting for a heaven here on earth before they go on mission. By the time it happens, there's no mission anymore. When heaven comes, the mission ends. You see, Jesus knows that, that we, are, we are called to work together to accomplish a mission of helping people find and follow Jesus while, while we are all struggling against the pressures and pain of this world. So if we will, if we will consider the sufferings of this world instead of things to even up or to be you know, fixed by ourselves, if we will consider the sufferings of this world as opportunities not to gain retaliation for self, but as opportunities to extend God's love by becoming productive missionaries to those who don't know Jesus, then we will be meaningfully participating in the advance of the kingdom that Jesus himself came to establish and that he proved on a cross on which he suffered for us. I mean, think about it. Jesus put his own body on the line as evidence that he was fully prepared to sacrifice for the sake of you and I knowing him personally, and he asks us to do nothing less than the same. He asks us to be prepared to endure suffering, and to thoughtfully sacrifice. Not just because that's life in a broken world, but because that is how this kingdom moves forward. That is how the kingdom of God defeats evil. You see, our problem today is that we actually believe the lie that we can have the kingdom without the cross. But that's not how this works. That is not how this works. The kingdom only comes through the suffering of the cross. And Jesus is here in Matthew 5 preparing his followers and preparing us to do what he knew he would have to do to endure suffering all the while being on mission. You see, friends, if you refuse to endure the suffering and the hardship and the pain. If you refuse to sacrifice, you will never be on mission to your community. It won't happen. Because your mission will be self-protection. Boom, it's done. That's where a lot of American Christians live. Selfish, security hoarding Christians remain consumers who will never experience the advance of the kingdom and they do not model it to their own loved ones or their children or their family. And then they end up wondering why their kids reject Jesus' way of life. It's because they watched you hoard for earthly gain in the here and now instead of sacrifice for the kingdom of God in ways that they see modeled. And they go, that's just like Jesus. Friends, let's preach. Our natural tendency to passionately protect ourselves from the pain and the suffering of this world, instead of going the extra, extra mile, is exactly what is keeping us from participating in the joy of God's work to defeat evil and to share the good news. You don't enjoy the fellowship. You will not enjoy the fellowship of mutual surrender, team code number one, because there's no surrender. When your primary goal in life is to avoid pain and conflict that you can't really 
You take yourself out of God's mission to communicate love in the midst of brokenness. So I want to suggest just a few, three 2019 FCC versions of Matthew 5 (laughs) that I'd like for you to consider, Uh, one of which might be helpful for you as a step toward becoming a missionary to Greene County. First is this, you've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Some of you all know what I'm referencing. (laughs) But I tell you, live like no one else so you can pursue generosity that communicates the love of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, move to a conservative place like Greene County so you can settle in, hunker down, get comfortable, and refuse to sacrifice because that's how you stay safe. But I tell you, be like Jesus and intentionally place yourself in the kind of Christ-like discomfort that will stretch you because that's how the kingdom of God moves forward and that's how you embody, that's how you incarnate the kind of sacrifice that you want your family to see and you're not sure how to teach. You've heard that it, you've heard that it was said, <laughs> I'm happy being a consumer who remains passively disengaged and who manages my church consumption carefully so as to avoid the potential for any pain or frustration. But I tell you in the words of Jesus, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I said three, I think this is the fourth. Finally, you've heard that it was said, Afton's too far away and I'm comfortable here. It's only four and a half miles. Friends, what God has called us to be, he's called us to be a community of people who actually embody instead of just intellectually assent to the idea that God's called us to a vision of going the extra mile together in ways that people see and they experience and they go, that is the love of God. So whether you're called to be a missionary to Greenville or to Afton, we are all of us. We're called to be people who go to our community by embodying the radically selfless priorities of the Savior who sacrificed himself for us. That's how people experience the love of God. Let's pray, friends. Father, forgive us for buying into the terrible lie that this world is about us and that you've given us all that we call our own for the sake of keeping ourselves safe. Father, teach us to be people who go for the sake of the advance of your kingdom and for our growth to become what you've called us to be. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.